On this episode, we discuss Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Not to be confused with Valerian Root, the cure for a thousand ailments. Available at your drugstore. everyone and welcome to the flop house i'm dan mccoy je m'appelle Stuart wellington and me elliot kalen and i want to start by just uh saying hey everybody merry yeah. whatever holiday it is when you're listening to this because i don't know when you're going to listen to it maybe it's christmas time maybe it's new year's maybe it's valentine's day which uh-huh. is coming up as we're about to as we're recording now maybe yeah. it's passover which is also coming up you know in a little bit so whatever holiday you're listening to it during I hope you're having a good one. Good night. Yeah, that's the uh, yeah, that's right, our, well. uh, our the thing we do every episode. <laughs> <laughs> just to be safe, I just want to cover our bases. I realized we've never done that, and what if someone's listening to this during a holiday yeah. and they're going to feel weird that we didn't wish them a merry one? They're going to think we're like anti their religion, and I don't want to ca- cause that to happen. That's why I named Valentine's Day a religious holiday. <laughs> yeah, it's named after Saint Saint Valentine. Saint <laughs> Valentine, which is Saint when Valentine. Bi- when Billy Zane. <laughs> yeah, Billy, it's Billy the Zane. time that Saint <laughs> Billy Zane. <laughs> Billy Zane Valentine sounds like if you did a black exploitation ver- version of Billy Zane. <laughs> and it's like this is the story of Billy Zane Valentine, star of Black Titanic and Black Phantom. <laughs> Um, so what do we do on this podcast, I mean, Dan? the star of Titanic? Uh, name a bigger star of Titanic. <laughs> uh, uh. Okay, the boat, sure. Bill Paxton. Okay, he's on screen earlier than Billy Zane. Yes, he's the star, you're right. And he's a way bigger star. Than Billy Zane? Yeah. Bill Paxton? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, did Bill Paxton ever play the Phantom? I can't believe I convince you of this. That's true. Yeah, he wasn't the lead evil? in the Phantom. You're right. Yeah, maybe. You know what? Pre-Big Love, I'm right. Post-Big Love, you're right. What about Victor Garber? He's in Titanic, and he's the captain of the ship. Hey, guys. He's more important than that. <laughs> I just saw Victor Garber, Garber on Broadway in Hello, God Dolly. damn it. Hey, Dan, you're doing me now. Uh, yeah. Wait, who's playing Dolly? Is it You saw that with Bette Midler? I saw it with Bernadette Peters. And oh, she even was better. Fantastic. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, she's a national treasure. Wait, that's why that's why Nicolas Cage has to find a treasure map to her. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a very hard but treasure map. I could tell him that he's on. She's appearing on Broadway uh, six nights a week. So, well, Dan, he's really in it for the chase, not the goal. Oh, okay. To be yeah. honest, I'll have to, the I'll true have to treasure this podcast to find out that information. Yeah. <laughs> the true treasure was the friends he made along the way. Oh, okay. Isn't that what he says at the end of National Treasure? You know, guys, the true treasure was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> and this gold. And this, and this gold that I used <laughs> to buy this sports car at the end of the movie. He bought a sports car at the end of the movie? Yeah. I hope it was an American-made sports car. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Is there such a thing? Yeah, I, like a like a Dodge Charger. Dodge is an American company, right? I mean, if he's using yeah, national, still- like if he's using American gold to buy something, I'm just saying, keep yeah, it in the true. country. 
<laughs> well, now it's time for Stu's America First Populism <laughs> podcast, the Pop House. Um, so, so what do we do on this podcast, Dan? This is a podcast where we watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. Uh-huh. And tonight, uh, or whenever we watched it, we watched Valerian. I want to look. I want to apologize for Dan too, everybody. Whatever holiday is that you're that you're celebrating, let's say it's Christmas. Maybe Dan's had a little too much eggnog or a little too much turkey. He's feeling a little sleepy. So everybody, uh-huh. Dan is having a, a sleepy holiday. I, I think Dan's doing a great job, Elliot. Why are you hassling him? Why are you riding him? I have a cold. One of my frequent colds. I feel like. This is a returning theme on the podcast that uh, Dan is sick. I don't know what it is about me that my like that well, your, the... your immune system. Yeah, I guess I mean, that's so. what it is about you. Literally, is your immune system is bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, what happened was Dan was feeling sick, so he went into his uh, kitchen to get some Dayquil, and he poured himself <laughs> a hearty glass of Dayquil, and then he looked at the bottle and it says Nyquil, <laughs> and he goes, "Oh." oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, already glad. he filled himself a solo cup of Dayquil. <laughs> uh, He's got to power so, through the podcast. So, so what did so, we watch tonight? Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. That is a mouthful. Yeah. Now, this is a movie. Let me just it tell is. you. That's not a lie. Okay, so facts number one. Pull it a fact. Check it. Look it up. I'm not lying. It's a movie. Don't pants give me a Pinocchio or Pants on Fire. Yeah. <laughs> no, Pants remain Un, un, uninflamed. Uh, so this is a movie that when it came out, they it uh-huh. was like they were they was like they were going out of their way to tell the audience nothing about what this movie was about or what watching it was like. All I knew from the commercials and the posters was there's something called a Valerian. I didn't know if it was a person, a place, a thing. I knew there was a thousand planets in the city. What does that mean? And I knew that Dane DeHaan was in it, but otherwise. I'll, and I knew he, <laughs> the raw star power of Dave DeHaan. <laughs> and I knew that he he flew a spaceship at some point. And otherwise, it was like they were going out of their way. Not, it was to tell you what this movie was about. And now, I think more people might have seen it if they had known this movie was like a, you know, a big space opera type adventure. I got that from the ads. I like, you know, you see people flying spaceships. You think it's a space opera? Like, I, I just. For all I knew, it was about people t- test driving spaceships all day. All right. I mean, I, that's a, before they like, bought one. <laughs> well, like a used cars, but in outer space. Exactly. Pitch it. I feel like the plot to this movie is is so bonkers that it's really hard to sum up in a trailer. That's true. But then what they could have express, expressed in the trailer was how bonkers the movie is. Yeah. I feel like they were trying to hide how bonkers crazy it was. Because this is essentially the fifth element times a million. This is like a million elements. What? <laughs> Like remember how the fifth remember how the fifth element came out and we were like this is bonkers yeah we all all the only snack that they would serve at the theaters if you're watching it was bonkers that was the only candy you could buy because that's how yeah. bonkers it was yeah they gave out the only, free copies of Bonk's Revenge as you left the theater <laughs> yeah. that was the only video game you were allowed to play for the rest of your life after yeah. watching the movie <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. That's a that's a rough contract you sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you got to read the fine print when you sign a movie contract for when you're watching a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Still, I can tell you anything you want to know about Bonk's Revenge. Uh-huh. I don't uh, you, except what, I don't is know he what he's caveman. Getting. He's a caveman and his head gets really big and he bonks people with it. <laughs> Wait, the only what's thing I don't he know is I don't revenge know what he's, for. <laughs> that's the only thing I don't know is what he's getting revenge for. I assume the mob killed his family. I'm just sick of these heroes with tragic pasts. <laughs> Probably yeah, his happened? fucking girlfriend got stuffed in a refrigerator. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm looking it up. 
<laughs> you look at what Bonk wanted revenge about. Okay, so I'll talk about Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Let's get into so the it's plot based now. on a comic book that would have been seen in France. Uh, yes, that, and Belgium. Yeah, it would have been the sort of thing you would have seen on the pages of Metal Hurlant, right? That's the other thing is when it when it came out, I assumed it was based on like a series of YA novels. Uh-huh. It, it looked like a real Hunger Game Maze Runner type thing, and yeah. it was. The fault in our Star Wars, let's call it. Uh. <laughs> so two things, but it's uh, not based on that. Yes, two things. Bonk uh, was trying to get the like someone stole the moon, and so he's getting revenge, <laughs> I guess, for someone well, stealing part of the moon. I didn't remember that. Okay, I mean yeah. those are some pretty big stakes. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and the other thing is when this movie came out, people pointed out that it was wait 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 wait. You're, the other thing you're going to say is not about Bonk. No. <laughs> okay. Let me okay. put my notebook away. No, you're talking about the ti- <laughs> you're talking about the title of this film and like and what it's about and like what it's based on. People were mad, uh, rightfully so, I think that it was not just that it was called Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets rather than yes. Valerian and Laureline, which is what the thing is called. And the fact and Laureline that is an equal character in the movie. She's an equal character in the movie, so it's weird that they just have the guy as the name of the film. I will say that Valorian and Laureline, Valerian and Laureline sounds like Jules and Jim. Like it sounds like a French movie about a couple or a friend. They should have just called it City of a Thousand Planets or something like that. You know, it was yeah. called like Space Adventure Craziness. Crazy yeah. Space. They should have called mm-hmm. it. It's Trading a mad, spaces. mad, mad, mad world. It's a mad, 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 mad universe is what they should have oh. called it. <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's yeah. a better name. Um, yeah. Uh, so but it, you're right. It should have been called Valerian and Laureline. And so, this or is a, or Laureline and Valerian. Oh, or, yeah, just blew my mind. Or Laureline and the City of a Thousand Planets. Sure. I mean, either of those would have been just as good, right? I mean, uh, were probably, they worried yeah. it was gonna? I mean, I guess they were worried it was gonna be a like a John Carter situation, and then they just had the same yeah. situation. The exact same situation. Well, the other problem is that it's this is another one of those, like John Carter. It seems like this is a movie playing off of the filmmakers' love of a specific property. That uh-huh. is not known of by most of the people in the United States of America, let alone, I don't know, the rest of the world. I mean, Europe, it's, I assume it's fairly well known. But like that Luc Besson apparently for years wanted to make a movie of these characters, but like I don't, like I'd never heard of them before, you know. And I consider myself fairly in the know about Euro science fiction comic books. And I mean, they're, they were popular. I mean, they're fairly popular and they were apparently a pretty big influence on George Lucas for the Star Wars, the original Star Wars trilogy. Huh. Apparently a number of the plot lines echo sequences you would see in the original Star Wars trilogy. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to see proof that George Lucas saw those comics. Okay. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I guess catch up like, with me next year. <laughs> pull out your dossier, I guess, Stuart. <laughs> Get, uh, put put uh, Agent Steele on the case. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's talk about what happens in this movie, huh? So, this is a totally crazy movie about our space. So what do they do? They open the movie with a montage of real space missions and the craziest song you could have in a movie about space, David Bowie's Space Oddity. Yeah. Hey, that's never been done before. Yeah, this is a pretty good. I still like the opening a lot. I think I the like opening's it. pretty I think, great. I think it's. I wish they had. I wish other people had not used the song as much because it actually works very well for the opening of this movie. Specifically, I wish they had not used it in The Martian, where I was like uh-huh. a little on the nose. The Martian. 
Yeah. But uh, so we see uh, we see this montage of real space footage that turns into future space missions as over you know decades and decades the International Space Station becomes Alpha Station, this enormous space station with thousands of alien species on it, and uh, it's too big for Earth orbit, and they launch it into the unknowns of outer space. And then, uh, and this is a really cool montage where it's like, you keep seeing the cap, the director of the space station greeting different people from different countries and then aliens from different planets. And, and they make a like, point to like change the director. Like it's not the same people greeting people every time. No, they like yeah. get older and then they get replaced. And yeah, it's a really cool, it's the, it's the, uh, it's more of a inspiring version of the opening from up. Where time passes very elegantly. Sure, yeah, yeah. Except it, well, it's, instead of being about a, a wife learning that she, a woman learning she cannot bear children and then dying, it's about people reaching out into the stars. <laughs> and the, it has, it reminds me of, it reminds me of the opening credits of Watchmen, where watching it, I was like, wow, I'm kind of excited for the rest of this movie. Like, this is a pretty artfully done thing set to a appropriate popular song. Mm-hmm. Now, cut to 400 years later, and this is what we get into serious European comic book science fiction, like <clears throat> Mobius, Codex Seraphinianus type stuff, because we're on, we're with a bald alien lady with shimmery skin on a kind of tropical planet where they, uh-huh. they fish pearl, everyone's bald and uh, supermodel thin and all stretched out, and they're on a world where they fish pearls out of the ocean. Yeah, they, they, have feed, a, they have a pearl-based economy. They even wash they, their faces in pearls. Yes, they, everything's pearls. Then they feed the pearls to a little armadillo-type creature, and it shakes its booty around, and then pearls fly out of it. I mean, it, it, looks, shit, it shits out pearls, right? Yeah, but they fly. They don't just fly out of the butt. It flies out of like all the pores in his skin, it seems like. Oh, okay. unless it Unless it was just a very classily shot scene of an armadillo <laughs> shitting pearls out of its butt. And Elliot has experience with non-classily shot versions of that scene. Oh, boy, do I ever. That's what working on The Daily Show is all about. It's just trying to get an armadillo to ship pearls in a way that it looks elegant. Yeah. So you can show it on broadcast television. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but then there's explosions in the sky. Uh-oh, alien spaceships are all crashing around them. Ah, it leads to explosions. And the bald lady that we followed from the very beginning, from her waking up in the morning and washing her face with pearls to her feeding pearls to an armadillo, she gets killed in the explosion as her family watches through the shield of a spaceship that they that they you know are hiding in, and she unleashes a blue light wave that flies across the universe and through space and time. And where does it land? In a beach simulation where Dane DeHaan is just kind of kicking around, uh, lying down, and it wakes him up from uh, tanning on a fake beach. And then he argues with uh, Loreline. We're introduced to these two characters, Valerian and Loreline, yeah. who are essentially space military spies, but they uh-huh, don't yeah. do espionage they just do the kind of they do movie spy missions where you go in and you blow up a bunch of stuff or you shoot a bunch of people and, uh, yeah and they, they we have a we have a scene of let's say artless flirtation <laughs> yes they they do a lot of it's this kind of argument flirting that in the best movies is like witty banter that shows that they're putting effort into trying to one-up each other, and that's how they express their kind of feelings for each other. But mm-hmm. they genuinely don't... She genuinely doesn't seem to like him very much. Like, Laureline genuinely seems to find Dane DeHaan's pawing at her and, like, and proposing to her, like, to be, like, going too far, to be offensive. Yeah. 
I think they were shooting for uh, like out of sight and they ended up with my memories of being on a subway platform in Germany uh, <laughs> <laughs> from when I was in college and me having to pretend I was the boyfriend of the girls I was hanging out with so that they would feel less threatened. They, yeah, it's uh, they don't they don't really seem to like each other. But uh, look, they're partners. They've got to work together. And he's like, "Hey, I really love you." And she's like, "Did you say that to all your other conquests and all these pictures of these women he slept with come up?" And this is what I was trying to get. So should I be? Should I think it's cool that they cast a guy who is not what I would call movie star handsome in uh-huh. this role? <laughs> okay. Or should, as much as he's not an ugly guy, he's not a he's not a terrible looking guy. He's got a certain like. Uh, geek attractiveness to him, I think. But uh, the fact that he is not a guy who looks like he bagged a million conquests, I was like, movie, come on. But maybe I should be happy that a guy who looks kind of nerdy is doing all this. How should I feel about it? Guys, you're you're too woke, hashtag me too type of people. How should I feel about it? <laughs> um, I mean, like... I'm glad that you read my t-shirt, by the way. <laughs> the I mean, the big problem with this movie, let's just say it, off the top is that the leads are not that charismatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find Lauren Lee a little more charismatic than Valerian. Yeah. But because her eyebrow game is on point. Yeah. I think we can all agree to that, right? Oh, she is not Isabella Rossellini is rolling in her grave. <laughs> not, I would say not. I, I mean, she's alive. not dead. She's still alive, but she sleeps in a grave because she's a vampire. So, okay. <laughs> I, I would say not since Kim Novak have we seen dark, bushy eyebrows used so well on an actress's face. Uh, but yeah, she. I find her more charismatic. But the two of them are both kind of assholes. Like yeah. they're both kind of dicks. They don't like each other. They don't like anybody else. They don't seem to give a shit about the lives of the people who get caught in the crossfire of their missions. There's a mm-hmm. real, like, um, like diabolic thing where the, the comic and the movie diabolic, where these are supposed to be the heroes, but they just kill people with impunity. And you're like, I don't like these people. Uh, this, but, uh, do you think the casting was like, my guess is that they cast what Cara Delevingne or how do you pronounce her name? Uh, yeah, I've got no idea. Uh, uh it's Cara ca- Delevingne. Levine. Oh, do they, okay. they, they, do they cast her first and then they're like, well, we need a lead who is roughly the same height. <laughs> <laughs> My guess like is if they need someone cast, who's equally willowy. Yeah. Like I feel like just looking at the covers of the, the comics, they probably were shooting for like a, I mean, I could be totally wrong, but they were shooting for like a Harrison Ford Han Solo type. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then maybe they decide to go more of a YA route because they do look like they could pass for teenagers. They look young for people for a guy who's supposed to be what a major in the army. He looks like he's like fifteen years old. And there's a scene later on where he punches Clive Owen and knocks him out. And I'm like, there is no way Clive Owen is a huge slab of man. <laughs> Clive Owen would take that guy apart. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but that, you mentioned Clive Owen, which which leads me to say hello, hello. But also the uh, that's the weird thing. So my guess behind the casting is they said the effects for this movie are going to cost about one hundred and seventy nine million dollars. So we can't get the biggest stars in the front roles, in the leading roles, and we'll get bigger stars for later on because like Clive Owen's in it, Rihanna's in it, Ethan Hawke's in it, Herbie mm-hmm. Hancock for some reason has a mm-hmm. prominent role. He's not even an actor. Rutger Hauer appears for less than a minute in it as like the <laughs> and, president and you, of space. And you know Rutger Hauer pulls down those big paychecks. Yeah. 
in Europe, he probably does. (laughs) (laughs) Rucker has one of those guys where it's like, where in America, he like the best he can do is kind of like an HBO made for HBO science fiction movie. But in Europe, I'm sure he does. he, He can pull big numbers, you know. I'm talking Alan Moore, Bill Sienkiewicz, big numbers. Whoa. That's right. The comic book series, they never finished. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. Do you think, I mean, I feel like uh, it reminds me of like how Yodorowsky was trying to cast Salvador Wait a Dali minute. Hold as, on a second. How have I never heard, thought of before the fact that Yodorowsky has Yoda in his name? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where George Lucas got the idea. <laughs> Oh, he's always stealing stuff from everybody. Yeah. Anyway, from- that it, that makes sense then why uh, there's that scene in Empire Strikes Back where Yoda has his son train in karate for two years to star <laughs> in a movie that never gets made. Yeah. Uh, you were saying about Yodorovsky, though. But it reminds me of how he was trying to cast Salvador Dali as uh, as the Emperor of the Universe. As the Emperor like, of Space. Yeah. yeah, there's such a weird, like, it's a weird thing of like, well, I could get an actor, but why don't I get a famous musician to learn how to act and be in this role or not? He's learn not how bad to act. in it. I mean, he's not terrible no. in it, but he, he all he does is basically appear on a visa screen and give exposition. No, but then they also got Rihanna, who I guess has, you know, she's been in Battleship and other things. Yeah. She did an she's, OK job in this movie, I thought. I mean, she did fine. I mean, her 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 job, she's mostly voice acting. And there's the one dance scene where she spends half the time being a body double. So right. the. You know, she didn't have so much to do. And, of course, Ethan Hawke is a flamboyant fireball in his scenes. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he wanted to eat up all the scenery. In his, he's like, he's, it's like, what, what, can someone feed this man a hamburger? Because he's eating all the scenery <laughs> in his role as a brothel-owning space cowboy. <laughs> but anyway, think, we'll get, we think, haven't even got to that part. But I do think that, if anything, uh, sums up the spirit of this movie— it's the fact that there's a brothel-owning space cowboy in it. <laughs> yeah, uh, who, who has imprisoned a shape-shifting alien lady named Bubble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, so we're still in the beginning of this. So uh, Dave, this is another thing about the movie. A very weird thing will happen. We've just seen these bald aliens who do not speak English. It's all in an alien language up to that point after the early montage. They, they live in a culture where they use pearls. They stick them inside of armadillos. The armadillos poop out more pearls. There's a Thanks. huge space battle. <laughs> Thanks this for woman, clarifying. <laughs> this woman dies, and a blue beam of light bursts out of her body and wakes up Dane DeHaan. And then, so all this crazy stuff has happened, and Dane DeHaan goes, Computer, can you analyze that? And the computer goes, uh, It seems someone put memories in your head of an alien culture. <laughs> and it's like, Whoa, so that's how we're going to unravel it? Is the computer's just going to tell him? Like, the, the movie sets up crazy, like, Crazy things happen, bonkers things, and then somebody's just like, "Oh yeah, that's the thing that does such and such." Moving along, like there's, uh, yeah, there's he a seems very integrating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they go to, but anyway, they go on their first mission of the movie. Uh, they're special agents. They're picking up a rare animal called a converter, which of uh-huh. course is the armadillo that poops pearls we saw earlier. You feed it anything, and it poops out copies of that thing. That it's the last thing, one yeah. of its kind in the universe. And, of course, they land on a desert planet and ride a hover school bus to, like, a space mosque where mm-hmm. there's an interdimensional kind of uh, market bazaar where you have to wear VR goggles. There's tourists wearing VR goggles to see this market bazaar world, and he has to – he has a and, box. And, like, special gloves to interact with the yeah. market. So yeah, Dane Don is like a box. He has a box he can stick his hand in so that he can point guns at people in this other dimension, and – 
he basically he stops a an alien who's like a you know like a job of the hut type and not really who sounded like he was voiced by john goodman was it yeah i think so (laughs) but he's like a fixer type and uh he's the he the fixer type is giving the converter or selling the converter to some bald aliens that look like the ones we saw earlier in the movie. And I mean, they're him- very clearly those same ty- that yeah. same race of aliens. And I'm just trying to create the mystery. And uh-huh. uh, they give him in exchange one pearl, which apparently is super valuable and full of energy. But Valerian's disembodied hand sticking out of a portal with a gun, uh, man, it stops them, and he takes the converter and the pearl. And uh, there's a, and a, a big um, chase through the bazaar ensues. Where, and then eventually they have to fight off a big dog lizard as they escape off the planet. And him and Lorelai are like, it's your basic, lots of crazy things happening and little jokes along the way. And like running into people and going, whoa, 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 whoa. And then explosions. And it's it's just ima- your imagination of what this thing is is basically what it is. It goes on for a long time. And it's not a bad science fiction chase comedy action sequence. Mm-hmm. But it certainly, it uh, let's just say it outstays its welcome. I was ready for them to get away from this place long before yeah. they were out of there. And also, the bad yeah. guy sticks this <laughs> the bad guy sticks this big lizard monster on them, and the lizard monster is just doing what it's been trained to do. And they man- get rid of it by it. It climbs onto the back of their spaceship. They take off the spaceship, and it falls thousands of miles to the surface of the planet. So it's probably, like, hey. yeah, presumably to its death. Yeah, it has I to be. Liked, I would have liked it better if it had like a little cartoon puff of smoke at the bottom of it, like if it was a <laughs> Roadrunner cartoon. And then it just went, ow! <laughs> yeah. Or or if it, even even more so, if it like held up like held one of those little, little signs. sign, yep. Okay, so guys, let me tell you my honest opinion of the movie at this point in the film. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was like, this is exactly what I want this movie to be. Yeah, exactly. Like, it is like a nonstop crazy science fiction cartoon where I don't think there was one moment where I cared about the plot or the characters. But it was like, Luke Basson, just start, keep throwing crazy things at me. And it wasn't until the last, like, 20 or so minutes when the plot kind of kicks in and they're trying to tie things up and they stop throwing crazy stuff at you that I was like, movie, should have ended before the movie ended. But yeah. I gotta say, this was, uh, at, by this point, I'm like, movie, you've cast a spell on me. Yeah, now agreed. I mean, All so much of it... Was, so much of it is the leads at this point and throughout the rest of the movie are so over it and unimpressed with everything they see. <laughs> it's kind of difficult for you, the viewer, to enjoy it because you're like, yes, should I also think it's dumb? <laughs> should it's I like, also be annoyed that there's aliens running around? If the characters go over the edge from being cool and cynical to being just, yeah, just like assholes who are like, ugh. This again, and it's yeah, it's like movie. If you can't be enthusiastic about your movie, then like, what what am I supposed to do? Yeah, you know. But okay, so Valerian escapes. They took and with Lorelai, but I'm going to say Valerian because he's the one with the name and the title. He must be the important character. So Valerian and Lorelai escape. They have that that converter, and they've got that magic pearl. Uh, Valerian examines the pearl, and the computer again is like, "Oh, this is full of energy. It's from a vanished planet." And he goes, look up that planet. And they say, access denied. Information on the pl- this planet is only for generals. Uh, they yeah, go yeah, to what is it? Fucking Alpha. Camino or something? And frankly, it is a lot like Camino. <laughs> yes, it is very similar to Camino, except Camino always had bad weather. 
Yeah, and it looks like this planet has only good weather. So yeah, my intellectual planet- property lawyers have no grounds to stand on. <laughs> yep. Much as uh, in Star Wars, all the planets have one environment. This environment is beautiful beaches all the time. Never well, a rain cloud. This uh, We're getting to the point where Valerian and uh, Loreline are coming back to the City of a Thousand Planets. And speaking of which, what you're saying, like the uh, computer gives them a recap about the th- city of a thousand planets and it's yeah. like all stuff that they should have known already but it's just for because- so we in the audience can get an information about it and likewise uh to you know like planets all being the same in this place like all aliens just seem to do one thing yes like, they've got like the one job for each alien every there's one aliens that ha- some aliens that handle computers some aliens that handle i guess janitorial there's the aliens and human resources. There's yeah. the one alien race that just fixes the printer and the copier, <laughs> make sure there's enough toner in it. There's the one alien race that it like organizes the birthday parties in the office. Uh-huh. There's the one there's the alien race that's just receptionists. There's the alien race that does a lot of like data entry. Yeah. There's the alien race that is like you're not really sure what they do around there, but they've yeah. been working there longer than you, so you assume that they have a job that you just don't know about. There's the alien race that's all middle management that don't really need to be there, and they kind of understand that in a way, so they're real dicks so that they can feel important. There's mm-hmm. the alien race that's the boss's son, who, like, he doesn't even show up half the time, but you know he's mm-hmm. going to inherit the company. Or, yeah. sorry, inherit Alpha, the city of a thousand planets, and yeah. you're like, oh, come on, he's going to run into a ground. There's that one alien race that's always getting caught faxing its resume to other space stations. They, they all just do the one thing, each race. Yeah. And here's what here's a good summary. That's a good summary, Elliot. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. But it is true, Dan. Like they supposedly they live on Alpha. Yeah. So it's like if you were driving home to, to New York from some from out of town and your car was like, welcome to New York City. Population seven or eight million. Founded in 1890, whatever, when <laughs> when Manhattan, when New York and Brooklyn combined to make the five boroughs and once and you'd be like, OK, I get it. You're yeah. like. It, the East Village is where the cool college students hang out, mm-hmm. but also in Williamsburg. You're like, okay, I get it. Thank you. <laughs> papaya uh, King serves hot dogs with <laughs> papaya juice. Who'd have thought it? <laughs> uh, so they go there. They uh, they report in, and they find that from their their immediate superior, there's a secret radioactive thing in the center of Alpha. This field of deadly radiation that keeps getting bigger, and everyone they send into it has disappeared. But that's when Commander Clive Owen walks in. Uh-oh. Hello, hello. <laughs> and yeah, Stuart, what does he say when he walks in? <laughs> Says, pip, pip, cheerio, it's me, Clive Owen. And he's got a chimney sweep outfit on, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> no, his outfit looks more like, I was. Uh, it looks more like, like if uh, Sheriff David Clark merged with like <laughs> one of the bots or bats from G.I. Joe, because yeah. it looks like he's got a big like circuit board strapped to his chest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is a very he's Sheriff Clark character. Yeah, and uh, so there they've been a, so there's this big meeting that's going to go on so that the commander can figure out what's happening with this thing in the center of Alpha and Val- Valerian and Loreline are going to protect him. They've been assigned to, and he's like, "It's okay, I've got these K10s. They're these super boss looking robot assassin soldiers that follow me everywhere, and they don't have faces." And he's like, "And they're like, no, we're still going to send Valerian and Loreline with you because they need someone to watch the commander." Uh, I assume because he's going to, like, run off and 
have a Ferris Bueller's Day Off type adventure if he doesn't have chaperones. <laughs> and they're like, where's the commander? He's supposed to be at this meeting. And then you hear, Donka Shane. Except it would be like, Astro Donka Shane. I don't know. I feel like the way this movie uses pop music, it would just be Donka Shane. Yeah, I guess so. It'd be when like, you, it'd be your like space a remixed. <laughs> yeah, it would be like a techno Euro Club DJ version of Donka Shane. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, and Loreline, she's befriending the converter who poops out energy pearls for her. Uh, but Commander Clive Owen goes off on his own. He's torturing one of these bald aliens. Uh-oh. He wants the converter, but Loreline won't let it go. And is uh, this, the does this follow council. the rule of, like, the most, like, the second most famous person is probably the bad guy rule? Yeah. Oh, very or much the, second or the most, most famous person? Or the most Clive Owen-y person yeah, is probably you're right. the bad I mean, guy. I would say that Rihanna's yeah. probably the most famous person in the movie. Okay, very fair. That's true. I'll give you that. I think as soon as someone shows up in a position of authority— or where someone who the hero is supposed to trust, who mm-hmm. is played by a bigger actor than is needed for a role of that size, and you is, know they're the bad guy. And is probably English. So, like, yes. if, da- if David Thewlis were to show up in Wonder Woman, per se, you would assume <laughs> that maybe he might be the baddie. If David Thewlis shows you're, up, you're like, look... You're doing, like, a, your weird Jeff, Jeff Foxworth routine now. <laughs> He might be a baddie. That's if a good you're one. David Thewlis and you're appearing in Wonder Woman, you might be a bad guy. <laughs> if you're a Colin Firth and the next most famous person in your group is Toby Young, you might be the baddie. <laughs> if you're Max von Sydow and Tom Cruise is supposed to trust you, but you seem really creepy, you might be the baddie. <laughs> If you're Benicio del Toro and so, and you meet the heroes in a prison cell on an alien planet, you might be the baddie. Yeah, come it's on, do another one. Bit. Yeah, Dan, there's got to be more one. of them. Uh, if you're James Woods and just about anything, you <laughs> might be the baddie. Except vampires. Yeah, yeah, he's if a good in that. If you're Breathless Mahoney and there's another character who talks with like a weird voice and has no face, you might be the baddie. (laughs) I'm glad he used that that cultural touchstone from Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy was huge. It was enormous. Yeah. Not a a critical hit, though. Not a (laughs) critics Uh, didn't like it. It was nominated for a couple Academy Awards for art direction and costumes and stuff and makeup. Oh, sure. Yeah. Best no, performance by movie. Dustin Hoffman as Mumbles. <laughs> uh, the, uh, I, on Gilbert Gottfried's podcast, he's told the story a couple times about how he was up for that role of Mumbles, an audition for Warren Beatty, and Warren Beatty was like, it's great. I want you for it. And, it, you know, let's do this. And then he didn't hear anything from a while. And then his agent was like, oh, they hired Dustin Hoffman to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder if it's like Warren Beatty was like, Dustin Hoffman was like, Warren, I want to play Mumbles. It's the part I've wanted to play since I was a kid. I've always loved Mumbles. And Warren Beatty was like, but I promised it to Gilbert Godfrey. And and Dustin Hoffman was like, it's me, Dusty, your Ishtar buddy. Come on. you got to let me play Mumbles. Come on. And he's like, oh, all right. And Warren Beatty was like, I'll make it up to you someday, Gilbert. And Warren Beatty started a little company called Aflac. And now you know the rest of the story. (laughs) Oh, wow. Thanks for filling in the uh, the backstory there, Elliot. So in this movie... So anyway, Clive Owen's uh, a bad guy. So you know Clive Owen's a bad guy because he's also he might as well be rubbing his hands and shifting his eyes from one side to the other the entire time he's on mm-hmm. screen. 
Uh, and also, let's remember that he was in Croupier, which is a, kind of a sinister movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, uh, so there's a council meeting. Valerian goes in. Loreline has to wait out in the hallway, and she has uh, a conversation with these three kind of like – these three uh, – or Watto. They look kind of like Watto from episode one. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. little, little gargoyle, long-nosed things who are information brokers and always want money because if it's a science fiction movie and there's no reason for this – in a science fiction movie, the characters who are always interested in money have to have long snouts. I don't know why. I don't know what that means, that it's always the long-snouted things that want money. It's yeah, always characters yes. or, mo- yeah. or aliens with big noses that for some reason are obsessed with money and putting prices on things. I don't understand. And work the kind of mercant... I, like, uh, I couldn't guess what the coding would be for that, though. Like, is there a real-world equivalent? I Elephants, can't think of one. maybe? There, that, that part where... <laughs> that part where love she, money. <laughs> that part where she said yeah they never forget where their money is or if you owe them anything the part where she said can i take out a loan and they said yes with interest because our religion allows us to charge interest whereas yours does not that's why we've been pushed into this economic sphere i mean that i don't know what it could possibly mean that all these long-nosed <laughs> aliens in, in science fiction movies love money but anyway uh, yeah and they uh they they got into an elevator together and she had to push the button because it was the Shabbos they said <laughs> because it was because it was Astro Shabbos. <laughs> uh anyway uh so that she they she sell they sell her some information about a major who was murdered recently who seems to have known something about that planet but uh-oh an alarm goes off there's an attack by the bald aliens and they shoot everyone with this goop that doesn't kill them it just incapacitates them but Valerian escapes using a mouth be- a mouth mounted spider bot that comes mm-hmm. out and cuts a cuts a hole for him because this movie is constantly showing you inventions that nobody uses ever again which is something i kind of like about it <laughs> yeah uh, uh and so this is the same aliens from the beginning of the movie and they show up and they shoot their like jizz cannons all over everybody. Yeah. Uh, and, and they seem to have some kind of technology that blocks normal guns from shooting them back. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, the, they kidnap the commander and Valerian chases them a while. So we get another amazing chase or it's just lot, a chase through alpha. And this one uh, was a little too video gamey for me. What do you guys think? Uh, well, the mo- the thing that we noted was that uh, Valerian is just sort of shooting randomly around in a giant city, like in the space station <laughs> city, and uh, and we also didn't know kind of what his end game was if he was like shooting at the spaceship that contained the commander that he was trying to get back. Yeah, is the commander immune to laser blasts? <laughs> I think when you become a commander, they give you a special pill that makes you immune to laser blasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, uh, he but he loses. Yeah, it's, them. It was pretty. I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like video gaming is too often used as a catch-all term for just, like, action movie with special effects. But it did feel... And it also felt like he was running through the uh, habitats or the biospheres for each of the alien races that were introduced to us by the computer yeah. when they were pulling into Alpha. Yes. So it's like, did they only put that in earlier so we would so we would get the areas he was running around in. <laughs> I mean, maybe so that when he starts swimming through an underwater area, we're not like, wait a minute, there's an ocean on this space station. Yeah. They, they're, were they worried we would choke on our gushers that we're eating or bonkers? Which one were we allowed to eat? Gushers? Do they serve, do, do they serve gushers in movie theaters anymore, guys? Oh yeah. They, on silver trays. You have to order it only in Alamo. 
you put your card up, and then a French waiter comes by with a silver tray and says, uh, your gâcheur, messieurs. And, and then, then he, you take it. Then he opens an umbrella because your head turns into a piece of fruit that then squirts juice all over everybody. Yeah, yeah and they call in the mortician to clean it up because your head has exploded <laughs> and you're dead now. Yeah. And they're like, another kid with his brain transmuted into gusher juice. Yeah. Why do they keep him on the market? Yeah, we should probably stop selling these things. Yeah. And, 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 Rob- and RoboCop's uh, going to crush it under his boot. <laughs> <laughs> and the theatrical agent goes, what a great trick. And the kid who's now dead from the gusher goes, yeah, but I can only do it once. And their ghost goes to hell. Oh, no. <laughs> oh wow. It was for other reasons, though. Okay. Oh, yeah, because they did bad things in their life. It's not because it's not like God is not like gusher death, instant hell. No, no, no. People, there's some people who go to heaven after gushers makes their head explode. The Dalai Lama, that's how the last Dalai Lama before this one died. Also, uh... Uh, I think that's how uh, Rosa Parks died, was a gusher explosion. Okay, well, we're getting yeah, to a yeah. weird area here. Uh, well, you think the Parks family is going to sue us for libel? I don't, I don't... <laughs> now, in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, when the weasels okay. turned into ghosts, did they fly up to heaven? I think they did. They were that's... shown with, with harps. That makes me question a lot of things about Christianity, guys. Uh, Stuart, it's called the mystery of God's grace. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. We don't well, decide who gets to heaven. He does. And I mean, the it's unfathomable. The question is, would a loving God allow a hell to exist in the first place? Oh, wow. You know, who famed Roger Rabbit brings up a lot of questions. Yeah. Guys. <laughs> Dan, if there's a world where Judge Doom is not going to cartoon hell, then I don't even want to live in it. <laughs> okay. Come on. He killed uh, that innocent boot just to show them how the, how the goop works. Come on. Yeah. All right. I think he calls it dip, right? Dip. Goop, Sorry, is the dip. A, yeah. goop is a different Show, branded property. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Oh, no, originally, in the original version, the boot had to uh, buy some had to buy some questionable medical products from Gwyneth yeah. Paltrow, and that's how it died. <laughs> and had a and egg Zeme- put in it. <laughs> yeah, and Robert Zemeckis was like, this is an unwieldy way to threaten the characters. <laughs> <laughs> this is too horrifying. <laughs> can't, can't we make it like some kind of a dip? And uh, and that he just made it up on the set, and they had to rewrite a lot of the film to fit that. Yeah, he, he was looking around, and there was a sick spinach dip on the uh, per diem table. <laughs> They're like, uh, just use this. And Christopher Lloyd was like, I didn't rehearse using a dip. I'm going back to my trailer. And they had to talk <laughs> him back onto the set. Christopher Lloyd does not like last-minute changes. you got to believe that. I heard on the set of... Uh, Piranha 3D, that he was, he was really, uh, he was like, nothing about this movie has to change, or else I'm out. Yeah, and he kept, he kept saying stuff like, well, on the set of Suburban Commando, Hulk Hogan did this. <laughs> and they're like, we got it, dude. Yeah, he kept flexing and talking about his 24-inch pythons running wild on you. <laughs> he was like, I was just afraid of those snakes. I didn't want those snakes to run wild on me. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, Christopher. Oh, yeah. Lloyd. Like, should we tell him? And yeah. Hulk Hogan was in the back going, don't tell him. <laughs> he thinks they're real snakes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what kind you of think- game he's playing to make sure that he needs Christopher Lloyd to think that, he, <laughs> that he's got a couple of snakes. Hulk Hogan's like, I forced him to put me in his will by telling him my arms can turn into snakes like that one He-Man character. <laughs> this is a weird place we've gotten to. Well, well no weirder no weirder than the movie Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, Dan, because let me tell you what happens next in it. Valerian has entered some kind of zone and he can't get out of. Loreline is taken into custody, but she escapes. She's going to go after him. And uh, the general, who's the commanding officer, says, I want to find out more about this planet where the Baldies come from, and finds he's been locked out of the file, too. Only the commander can get in. 
Lorelion does what anyone else would do to find their missing partner. She yep. uses her three information gargoyles to hire a pirate in a submarine to steal a brain jellyfish off of an underwater dinosaur and then stick her head in its butt so it can read her memories and then tell her where Valerian is. <laughs> and and yep. ba- basically show her images from the movie that we just saw five minutes ago. Yeah. It's I don't like know this if that's je- her memories or that's the image the brain jellyfish projects, which means did the brain jellyfish make the movie we're watching? My guess is <laughs> Are that the our brain- heads all stuffed up <laughs> brain jellyfish butts. I mean, that's what Descartes was really asking about. It's possible that our heads are just stuffed up brain jellyfish butts and we're just being fed st- in a movie that we think is our life. That's the basis of philosophy. Uh, I also like the my- idea that Luc Besson was writing this and he's like, all right, I need to figure out a way that Loreline can find out where Valerian is. What is the simplest A to B <laughs> way that, what is the logical uh, connection? Occam, that lend I can make? me your razor so I yeah. can cut a path through this narrative thicket. That's <laughs> uh, I have to believe that the jellyfish is a movie bootlegger, already saw Valerian, and like is just showing her what, <laughs> what, he, yeah. what he filmed in the theater. Uh, long story short, she finds Valerian, she revives him, and, uh, the general frees the the alien that the commander had been torturing, who lets out a blue flash of his own. Uh, Valerian and Loreline they get caught by some big tubby alien fishermen who kidnap Loreline to we find out later have her brain eaten by their king. Although she gets so, clear, so they get caught by these fishing aliens. Yeah, and so Loreline first gets caught and then Valerian gets caught intentionally and immediately just shoots the guy who caught him, which makes me question why didn't Loreline just shoot the guy who caught her? That's a very good point. I mean, I guess it speaks to the difference in character between our two leads. I mean, Valerian is more of a shoot first, ask questions, never character. Mm -hmm. And Loreline is more of a get stuck inside of a wicker basket and somehow Mm -hmm. not be able to find her way out character. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and of course, this is after they had another conversation about whether they should get married or not. But uh, so Valerian has to, I, it's weird. Instead of shooting us, so she's been taken to a place that is kind of like a barbarian no go zone, and the only way to get in there without starting a diplomatic incident, he says, is to go in disguise. How are you going to do that? You got to go to the kind of sin alley area, which is called Paradise Alley, mm-hmm. where it's full of outer space hookers, including one dressed as Jessica Rabbit from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, and. He needs that's, a lamp. That's, that's called an Easter egg, Elliot, for the true fans. Yeah, because he's a rabbit. And also, to kind of validate our arguments earlier about Judge Doom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, Dan, it made sense that we went down that rabbit hole. That's because true. there's a Roger Rabbit reference in this movie. <laughs> and also, I have to admit, it makes me wonder why I haven't seen more Jessica Rabbit-themed cosplay pornography. Maybe I'm just not seeing it. I think I you're just not there. looking, dude. Oh, it's got. You think it's there? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to guess it's there. I don't know for sure. Why is Dan looking at me? I don't know. Because <laughs> Stuart is say, saying I don't know for sure. I, I'm starting to sweat. With a like <laughs> face that makes it me suggest that he does know for sure. I mean, I guess uh, maybe I'm just being too vanilla heteronormative when I'm like, why is there so much porn about like a Transformer having sex with Sonic? Yeah. Or like Sonic being pregnant with Knuckles' baby and very little about Jessica Rabbit. But maybe it's because the itch that Jessica Rabbit scratches is easily scratched by your mainstream heteronormative pornography. Whereas to go, you got to go to the internet to find your Sonic carrying Knuckles' baby pornography. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that's... Is that the case? If we were to, like, make one of those memes where the brain gets filled with more and more electricity, Jessica Rabbit pornography is way on top. We're talking about... when there's very little electricity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then bottom, it's like Bart Simpson has eaten Mario, who is pregnant with Sonic's baby or something. (laughs) So what would be in the middle of that? Uh... Wow, I don't know. I, I'm not interested in that sort of thing, so I can't even bring okay. my brain to think about it. <laughs> okay, well, so he's got to go to Paradise Alley to get a Glamopod to disguise himself. We never find out, I think, what a Glamopod is, unless it is what he manages to get. I think it's... Does Ethan... Is it the aforementioned... For? Is it what? Isn't it what he gets? I don't know. I don't know, because I thought it was like a piece of technology, but what happens is Ethan Hawke, Space Cowboy... Brings him in to watch Rihanna slash Rihanna's body double do a pole dance uh, for a while, where he she keeps shape shape shifting into different fetish based costumes. She's a schoolgirl, she's a nurse, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and he says to her, "I'm going to free you in exchange for your help." And he uses a hidden gun to zap Ethan Hawke, and they escape with him wearing the shapeshifter, who it turns out is a kind of globular being named Bubble, who still sounds like Rihanna. So maybe she's a glamopod. Maybe that's yeah. what that is. Uh, this is about they, the, they go in. The, w- this whole adventure where uh, Loreline is captured by these monsters, and he has to find this glamopod to get go get her. Like this is the point in the movie where I'm like, I wish all the people who saw the Last Jedi and was ang- and were angry about the casino scene, thinking that it had no bearing on the rest of the plot, watched Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many side adventures that just like serve to prolong the movie and they're fun they're all fun side adventures That's a, but the movie uh, it's one of those movies where the plot only exists to give us a reason to leave the plot to go on side adventures yeah because you're right this whole sequence which i thought which which is pretty fun and she gets and loreline who's been trying on dresses this whole time because an alien is forcing her to try on dresses gets to wear a huge white hat that we only realize at the last minute is a platform so that the top of her head sticks out, so that they can cut the top of her head off, so that this alien emperor can eat her brain. Yeah. It just yeah. looks like a huge sun hat. Uh, this whole sequence, it, yeah, it has no bearing on the rest of the movie. It's totally unnecessary. And the diplomatic incident they were referring to does not happen. Even yeah. after I mean, they kill everyone there. Yeah, it's this like state-sanctioned assassination where these agents show up and just murder the leader of this. <laughs> yeah, uh, he goes through all this trouble of sneaking in there with this glamopod, and then he eventually just shucks her off of him and, and like goes around as Valerian himself, killing everybody. And it's killing like, everyone. Yeah, and then and then the and then Rihanna's glamopod dies, and she's like, "Thanks so much," and it's like. Why, dude? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, you gave me a taste of freedom. You're the best, and you should. She, she should marry you. Uh. And it's she turns into an Egyptian pharaoh and then crumbles into dust. And you're like, yeah. You're like, wait a minute. So this character, it like that was the one moment, of, uh, one of the moments in the movie where I was like, these heroes are jerks. Like, just <sighs> basically hired this. Basically, if the hero of the movie went to a strip club. Told a stripper, I'm gonna wear you as a as a costume. You have to help me save somebody, and then you're gonna die. That's not yeah. a hero heroic thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I and when you make it when you lay it out like that, I guess it doesn't sound heroic. <laughs> That's why okay. you gotta change words to glamopod and uh diplomatic incident, et cetera, et cetera. Now, Valerian tells Loreline this alien bald princess that put a dream in his head has been guiding him this whole time. Have we seen any, seen any evidence of that happening? 
No, I don't think we have. Uh, they go into the dead zone, which it turns out is totally livable. There's no radiation yeah. there. There's just a portal to some kind of alien place where the baldy aliens are. And uh, they find that uh, they that's where they're and that's where they've kidnapped the commander, the bald emperor, who is a male character but has a female voice. Says that when the when they die, they can release their souls into other people that they choose as their guardians. And the princess, when she died, chose Valerian as her soul guardian. I don't know why they haven't met each other before. They, I mean, it's it, it's kind of like a random Tinder hookup. It, to be honest, in a movie with a lot of stuff, this seems unnecessary. The whole like sending her spirit out to guide him. Yeah. Right? Like, they were already on a mission. Their mission was, they were already set on the path to where they end up. Yeah. They didn't also need to have memories implanted in his head. No. It's it, it's completely superfluous and unnecessary, and it adds another layer of, like, chosen one to this, yes. which, as you guys know, is my favorite type of plot device. Mm-hmm. Someone being a chosen one and there being a prophecy of some kind. Uh, anyway, they tell their backstory, which we all could have guessed by now. They lived in peace on this planet. There was a big battle. Somebody gave the command to fight above the planet and kill everybody there. Guess what? It was Commander Clive Owen. What what a surprise. What a big secret. Uh, and he's and he erased all the information about this planet from the database. He killed the major who was there when he gave the command and told him that the planet was inhabited to cover up his crimes in, in destroying this inhabited planet. It's the kind of stuff that uh if I can get political for a moment. Sure. It's the kind yeah. of stuff that uh that our leaders do with the military kind of like every other day where it's like there's terrorists in this building blow it up boom oh it turns out it was a wedding we killed a lot of children well let's go so i don't know that it would be such a scandal in real life people would be like fog a war man he did what he had to do blah 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 anyway it was a whole sound planet like a, i mean they do yeah but a whole planet what were they doing making pearls out of armadillo's butts they sound weird it was kind of hard for me to wrap my brain around the yeah the exact stakes involved because it was a little bit like well they're already having a space battle and he just blew up that ship it doesn't seem that it doesn't seem that crazy wow, you guys are apologize apologists for genocide no, but just the, the opposite, Dan. We're saying that we live in a cynical, fallen world where, unfortunately, that kind of stuff happens all the time, and nobody cares about it. And, Dan, maybe your liberal guilt makes you feel like, oh, well, I read about this in The New Yorker. I feel so bad for a moment. Ooh, where's my avocado toast? Blah, yum, yum, yum. Let me pet my cat as people are being killed by our government in our name overseas. But you know what? They're not Americans. I'm never going to meet them, so they might as well not exist. They're shadows. They're not even full human beings. Why don't I sit here and watch fucking tales? from the crypt or whatever with all the electricity and clean water and food that i want and all the pearls you would ever need to wash your face with yeah i ordered too much food i'll throw away half of it because i don't care i live in first world luxury even though my government's destabilizing countries on the other side of the world wake up dan wake up that's fair that does sound like me (laughs) also that's a pretty good impression also wake up san francisco with your host danny tanner (laughs) um yeah but at this point in the movie like you said, they explain what we already kind of guessed, and they do it like five times. Yes, yeah. They keep. They really think that either whoever's watching this is super dumb, or that you have been so pummeled into bonkersness by all the things you've been seeing that you can't hold information in your head anymore. Yeah. So they have to keep repeating it to you. Like you're, you've been mementoized by this movie, and you can't remember more than a couple seconds in the past. Uh, so anyway. there then exists a standoff. Uh, Clive Owen gets to chew a little bit of scenery, show those uh, acting chops of his. 
there's a, mm-hmm. they knock him out with a single punch because uh, Valerian's super tough. And uh, the aliens explain like, oh, we just need this, the magic stuff that you just brought us so that we can live in harmony and peace forever. See you later. We'll find another planet with a spaceship we built. We need the converter and a pearl. Valerian gives them the pearl and Lorelai's about to give him the converter. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're under orders to deliver that converter to, uh, to Alpha. I follow the rules. I'm a soldier. And it's like, dude, you just punched out the commander in chief of the army. Like, now you're going to balk at breaking the rules? Like, they, come on. Come on. He hasn't yeah. seemed on. to follow the come rules on. much up until this point. That's Certainly true. He's not, never been a rule. Fun. He barely seems to follow the rules for consent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in the end, she says to him, you got to have you got to trust people. And they give the converter. But then there's an even uh, a bigger standoff. She kisses him when he gives the converter over. Uh, shouldn't even have been his decision to make, frankly. Uh, but at that point, human troops who went to go save Valerian show up. They show up with those robo-droids, and the commander gives the command for the robo-droids to start shooting everybody. How the droids heard him, I don't know. He's I mean, behind a portal. Yeah, but his voice, it. I mean, he's got one of those voices that just carries, you know? <laughs> That's true. That's why, why uh, everyone was telling him, hush, keep it down now. Clive Owen carries. Eh, remember that song? <laughs> yeah, I'm familiar. Oh, that's great. You nailed it. Tell Tuesday. <laughs> uh, they uh, anyway, but then the the fight goes. It goes crazy. The Robo troops are shooting everybody. They set their bombs with a with a timer everywhere, and uh, the there's going to be explosives that go off. Uh, the the general who up till this point has just kind of stood in the same place on the same set, barking orders at people. His assistant, a character that we've barely gotten to know up till this point, risks his life in the crossfire to turn the turn the bombs off and manages to do it with one second left in the countdown. Uh-oh. And Valerian and these robo soldiers who have been mowing down the regular troops, Valerian single-handedly takes down all of them using like a pistol. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of jumps. Yeah, a lot of flips and jumps. He, uh, Yodorowski really taught him his Jedi training to do a lot of flips <laughs> when he was on Dagobah Rowski uh, <laughs> in Star Wars Rowski. Uh-huh. It's just like Star Wars, but everyone just has Rowski at the end of their name. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Do you get it, Dan? A little behind on this one? Yeah, I'm a little slow on this one. I don't know if I if I follow. Well, it wasn't very good, so that's okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, in the end, everything turns out fine. <laughs> They, they arrest the commander. The aliens take off in their spaceship to another planet because all they need is pearls to make their planet live again, just like in the original version of the Beatles song, All You Need Is Pearls. Mm-hmm. And then people were like, that's not really a universal message. It's hard for some people to get pearls. And John Lennon was like, I don't give a shit. Just change it to love or something. <laughs> and it turned into All You Need Is Love. Now you know the rest of the story. And Valerian and Loreline are off in a cap- space capsule floating somewhere. And uh, she and he proposes again, and she starts kissing him, and he says, is that a yes? And she says, call it a maybe. And in classic James Bond style, it is implied that they will now have sex while they wait to be rescued. Yeah. We have left. You are now leaving the city of a thousand planets. And then uh, then we get some bloopers, right? Yeah, some sweet uh, bloops. No, there weren't were any bloopers, guys. I'm just uh, fucking with I was you. like, you made me so excited. I was like, wait, did I miss the bloops? So, guys... This is the most expensive non-American movie ever made. 
Yes. And also the most expensive independently financed movie since it was made between seems to have been made by Luc Besson and then all the banks who got producer credits that were early in the yeah. movie. Yeah, when there's a when lot banks get listed as producers before the stars of your movie are listed, that's <laughs> not a good sign. They may be the baddies. Mm-hmm. Oh, kitty, don't go over there. Sorry, the cat's on the table. That's not a euphemism? Yeah. Uh, it means I, the, I don't there's know what literally that would be a cat on the I door. Think- I feel like Dan is testing out his new catchphrase. Oh, kitty, don't go over there. <laughs> Dan, uh-oh, I invited I invited my boss over the same night we were going to have your wild bachelor party. Oh, oh. kitty, don't go over there. <laughs> it's like it's your kind of like talk to the hand, I guess, or like yeah. Icarumba. Yeah. But yeah, this is a hugely expensive movie. I mean, it looks hugely expensive. Yeah. there. Are, I don't know that there are any shots in the entire movie that are not effects shots. Like yeah. there's everything there's always stuff lying around. There's always CGI monsters. The sheer variety of CGI monsters is it's crazy. They're all over the place. Yeah, I love I love all the wacky alien design. That shit's great. And I'm gonna I'm just gonna be honest with you guys. Yeah. Like I was saying earlier, except for the last twenty minutes or so, I really enjoyed this movie because it was just a nonstop parade of side quests and wacky aliens. Yeah. It was I'm, just like col- colorful explosions and monsters. As always, we've jumped into final judgments without actually saying they were doing final judgments. Final judgments. Whether it's a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie you kind of like, Elliot says it's a movie he kind of liked. I would say it's a movie I kind of liked. And like on Twitter, uh, Stuart hinted we were doing this movie, and someone tweeted back and was like, oh, it's so bad. And I wanted to be like, sir, I think you may be a little disappointed in my rating. Because aside from the fact that, one, the leads are not particularly charismatic, and the characters they're playing are real pieces of junk, real mean. Two, the plot is I never cared about. Three, the last 20 minutes are repetitive, because it's Mexican standoff, Mexican standoff, and then we gotta stop this detonation and shoot, shoot, shoot. Other than those things, uh, and also the fact that uh, the whole time I was watching it, I felt a little bit like uh, I was in a sort of dream haze state, because... I was having trouble following all the colorful things flying around at all the times. Uh, other than those things, this was exactly what I wanted out of a kind of Euro space opera crazy film. Yeah. I feel like if I had started the movie, gone over to settings, gone over to language, chosen French, subtitles, English, I would have liked ah. the movie a little more. Ah, so how did you feel about it? You didn't like it so much, huh? Um, I would say I'm kind of in between between uh, a movie I kind of liked and a bad, bad movie. Because it's not mm. like, it's not really a good, bad movie. But like, no, any anytime, anytime the movie pauses for breath to like explain the plot, the whole thing, whole operation grinds to a halt. That's it, true. It looks gorgeous. And, uh, but, and I like, I like a lot of the stuff about it. But yeah, you know. I think I probably liked it the most of the three of us. Uh, did I get bored? Yes, I got bored at times. I feel like because you don't have a lot of investment in the major characters and the plot of the movie is so convoluted that you don't have, like the stakes are a little weird, uh, it's easy to get a little distracted after a while, even though beautiful things are happening on the screen. But for the most part, Again, other than the things that Elliot said, I really had a great time. I I mean, I really I really I enjoyed it in a way that I I didn't think I was going to. And you got to give 
points to any movie where you hire a pirate in a mini sub to steal a jellyfish off a dinosaur so you can stick your head in its butt so it can give you information. Yeah. I feel like I'm just saying give that movie all the Academy Awards right now. Yeah, I feel like if I feel like if they had just made the central plot simpler, it would have been better. Like you could have just as many Oh yeah. It's one of the things that makes uh Mad Max Fury Road so great is that the basic plot is very straightforward. But there's plenty of room for crazy shit to happen in the edges. Well, what this movie gives us is the best and the worst of Luke Besson. The best is that from a visual standpoint, he's super he's always got super imagination. He knows how to do like crazy fast-paced action sequences and there's lots of style. But the the bad weaknesses is he's never been great with plot. He overcomplicates everything and he confuses kind of uh he confuses a, a cool character for a an unfeeling character. Yeah. And especially when one of the subplots is that Valerian really wants to marry Loreline, and the whole time you're like, why? You don't seem to like her very much. She doesn't seem to like you very much. Like, what's the deal? You're both too cool. TCFS, too cool for school, you know? Yeah. Okay. Let's move but, okay, on. Okay, so, so we gave Valerian a... I say movie I kind of liked. Stuart says he's not sure. And Dan says favorite movie of all time. Um, moving on. Dan's to- uh, Bet- confirming that. It's confirmed. Yeah. He didn't say no. Better than Stop Making Sense. Raves Dan McCoy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, this is Griffin McElroy. Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. And we've got a new podcast on Maximum Fun called Wonderful. Wonderful. It's an enthusiast podcast where we talk about things that we're excited about and things that you're excited about. Things like overalls. 24-hour Sudafed. The grand prize game. The fact that wombats use their butts to kill predators. The soundtrack to the movie Dick Tracy. The beach potion we call Bud Light Line. All these things and more every Wednesday. And we'll also talk about things that you're excited about. You can find us on MaximumFun.org or iTunes or wherever. I don't know. Just search Wonderful. Google it. You'll probably get there. Hey, you, with the headphones. Just between you and me, the Max Fun store just got some of that sweet, sweet new merchant stock. You know, that merch from your favorite Max Fun shows? Could be posters, tote bags, shirts, stickers, patches, aprons. We got it all. Well, we got a lot. Point is, there's some new stuff. Go to maxfunstore.com. So we've got a few sponsors. For the show. Whoa! Yeah. Are you sure? You sure you want to do this with us here? Or would you prefer one of your cl- now classic solo ad reads? No, I would love <laughs> yeah. to do it with you here. Um, but I'm scrolling through my phone. I'm sorry that I'm taking a delay here. Trying okay. to find the. It's just a sign for Elliot Night of Vamp a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now in a situation like this, normally Dan would ask us a question, and we would answer it while he looks up the stuff on his phone. Seamless. Nobody knows that he's just covering up that he's not prepared and doesn't know what he's doing. But instead, he blurted it out loud and left it to me to call attention to that even more so as a way to fill the time. Uh, Stuart, uh, what's your play-by-play on this? How do you feel about it? Uh, well, I'm trying to think. Has there been a movie made of a European cartoon that's been good? Like a European comic book that's been any good? I mean, I've never saw that Tintan movie oh, that, okay. uh, that Tintin. Spielberg made. Was that one good? Tantan, yeah. I, I really like it. I like the Tintan movie a lot, okay. actually. I haven't seen it yet. And I let's not it, forget... Oh, you thought what? I thought it was the Indiana Jones movie that Crystal Skull should have been. Uh-huh. 
And what about what about that the Asterix and Obelisk movie with uh, Gerard <laughs> Depardieu? <How's laughs> That's that? what I was gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> what about the one where Roberto Benigni plays the Emperor of Rome? Yeah, yeah. What about that one? Yeah, uh, you love those Asterix movies, right, Dan? Yeah, um, uh, I wasn't even aware that they existed. I'm, I mean, I'm a, <laughs> they're huge movies. Yeah, they're yeah. deals. Yeah, I mean, I like the comics. Uh, that's not what we're talking about, though. Let's talk about Blue Apron instead. Okay, the mm, flop house of aprons. The flop house is supported by Blue Apron. Blue Apron partners with sustainable farms, fisheries, and ranchers. To bring you all of the ingredients you need to create incredible home cooked meals. Ingredients. Hey, yeah. You know, you know what's the best thing about those ranchers? Because they're sustainable and because they're giving great food to you, they're happy. You might even call them Jolly Ranchers. I was waiting for it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I was yeah. not You're disappointed. Like, you left that money on the table. You know Elliot's gonna snatch that dollar. Yeah. yeah, come on, you say ranchers, I'm gonna add Jolly to it. Uh, ingredients come paired with an easy-to-follow recipe card delivered to your door weekly in a refrigerated box. How do they refrigerate that box? <laughs> wait, wait, Dan. That was the part that shocked you the most, that it's a box? <laughs> got that was the part you could... <laughs> most refrigerators are boxes. <laughs> yeah, all right. That was, that, was the most, that was the most childlike I've ever seen you in the way that kids get really excited when they see a box because they can play with it. Yeah. A box? Well, look, you should rediscover how fun cooking can be while enjoying specialty ingredients and exploring new flavors and cuisines. And you can get $30 off your first order by visiting blueapron.com slash flophouse. Blueapron.com slash flophouse and you get $30 off your first order? That's right. That's great. What a deal. Yeah. And hey, you don't have to order it for yourself. You can get it for someone else. We used to talk about this and it's still a good idea. (coughs) Do you know a friend who recently had a child? Do you have a friend who's recovering from a surgery? Do you know a friend who, for whatever reason, is having trouble taking care of themselves right now? Get them a Blue Apron membership, and that food gets delivered right to their door, and it saves them time, saves you the effort of having to go there in person. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to make any sort of convalescent calls. And it's going nope. to be a little bit healthier than just getting takeout all the time. Yeah. Yes. Our other uh, sponsor for this episode is ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Yeah. Posting yes. Really, yes. Elliot? What are you hiring for? I've got a new company. Okay. Maybe you'll, maybe you're going to like it. Okay. So I was inspired by this movie that I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. And I was thinking about, okay, how many planets are there out there? Nobody knows. It's time for us to find out. So I figured I would hire somebody to count all the planets and not, you know what, and to really do it right. Not to just be like Earth, Mars, Mercury, there's three. No, I want you to count all the planets. And I don't care how many kids place mats with pictures of the solar system on it you need to go through to get make sure you've got an accurate count of all the planets. Because there's got to be what, Dan? How many planets do you think? Like 10 at least? Yeah, like yeah, like like, like uh, 12. Well, in the whole universe, there's got to be like at least 12. So. Yeah. I want to hire someone to count these planets. And it's, you know what? I'm not making money off this. I just want to have it done so that humanity has the science and we know in the future how many planets there are. But I need to hire somebody. I can't just walk out of my house and yell, somebody count some planets for me and hope someone's going to hear it and show up. If I take a bottle, put a message in it, throw it up in the air, it's just going to fall back down and smash on the ground. That's not going to help me. If I, if I put a note on a carrier pigeon... Someone's going to catch that pigeon and eat it, throw the note away after wiping their face on it. 
Now, how am I going to find someone to, to hire for this? Now, stuff? what is this hobo universe you're living in? I, I live. Uh, I live. You know how there's all these different Earths in the DC universe. Oh, okay. I live on Earth hobo. Okay. I in Earth you. hobo, there's lots of empty bottles lying around, and people are always catching pigeons and eating them. Yeah. All right. Well, here, here, this will help you. Posting your position to job sites and waiting and waiting for the right people to see it, that's no good. That's Look, what I was saying. ZipRecruiter has revolutionized hiring. Their technology finds great candidates for you. It learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. And right now, our listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Flophouse. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Flophouse. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I think, you know what? I think I figured out who I'm going to hire for this job. <laughs> yeah? I need someone with counting experience, and I need someone who's okay being up all night. I'm going to need either Count Von Count uh-huh. or uh, USA Up All Night host Rhonda Shear. She can count stuff, right? Uh, I've never seen any uh, evidence that she can't count. Okay, and she's been up all night. Yeah. I and Count von Count is a vampire, so he's out all night anyway. Yeah, <laughs> that's, these are all good points. Does okay, he? So Zip, does he thank like, you. Does so he thank you, Zipper. All his counting. Do you what? think? Do you think Count von Count would do? It's all dictation. For he certainly he certainly says it aloud while he's doing it. Yeah, and he and he loves his work because he laughs between every number. <laughs> um. So we should move on to letters. Okay. From listeners. Hey, wait, Dan. Uh, I have a. Oh, you got Jumbotron. Dan, I, have a, sorry. I have a Jumbotron message. It's I'm okay. Sorry. Uh, Stuart, do you have a Jumbotron? Or yeah, should I go I got, first? I got a fucking Jumbotron. <laughs> okay. Oh, you seem really excited about it. You, you yeah. go first, then I'll go. Okay. This message is for Jacob, last name withheld, and it is from Jacob, last name withheld. Five years ago, you were diagnosed with liver cancer, and somehow you still haven't died. Congrats. I hope grad school is treating you well and that the next time you're involved in a testicular ultrasound, it's not as the patient. Also, with the improving prognosis, we really should be more budget conscious. Stop buying yourself Jumbotrons. (laughs) Well, Jacob, congratulations, dude. That's awesome. It's good to hear. I'm glad that I could... uh, Possibly, like partially mangle that message that you gave me to read. <laughs> uh, you reminded me. I uh, I wanted to I wanted to give a shout out of my own before I get to my jumbotron to my friend Sasha who recently had kidney surgery and is a Flophouse listener and Flophouse Facebook group uh, member. And I mm-hmm. just wanted to say uh, congratulations on getting rid of that bad kidney. Thanks for getting it out of your body. You don't need it. It's weighing you down, and now you're ready to shoot for the stars with the only kidney you need, mm-hmm. the one that's left. Catch that kidney. Uh, <laughs> catch that kidney is what the doctor said as it as it was flung out of her body. Uh, anyway, but uh, so Sasha, I hope you're feeling better. Uh, okay, and I have a Jumbotron message. This is one of a more capitalist mercantile nature, and it's from Nominee Coffee Roasters. And the message goes like this. Founded in 2017... Nominee Coffee Roasters is an ultra-traditionalist, DIY-focused micro-roaster based in North Seattle. Impassioned by the highest quality single-origin coffees, Nominee as a roasting effort exists synonymous with paramount care and quality garnered through a hands-on, nostalgia-driven approach and remaining small batch to an idyllic fault. 
Listeners of the Flophouse will also receive 15% off their order with code FLOP. So they're on Instagram at Nominee Coffee and visit nomineecoffee.com. Try for yourself 15% off their order with the code FLOP. Now, uh, I just I'm love that coffee, coffee myself, man. But, I'm just, yeah, I'm a sucker for that hot brown bean water, baby. <laughs> people love it. Ever since it was first introduced to Europe in the coffee houses of, uh, of Spain and England and France, it's become a part of so many people's everyday life. So, uh, yeah, go try that. Um, all right. Now, after that aborted uh, attempt earlier, because I was stupid and forgot Jumbotrons, now it's time for letters from listeners. listeners and Dan, like you, know you. How, you know how you know when it's really time for letters? How? Because the music starts to play, and every day when the music plays, you know I'm gonna say it's a letters day. Letters day. Sometimes you don't hear a letters song, and that's because it's time for the Jumbotron. But Dan mixed it up because Dan's feeling a little sick. Dan's got a cold, and he's feeling old. He's full of mold. Dan's got a cold. But it's not time to disparage Dan's immune system right now. Because, holy cow, it's a letters day. A day for letters, and I hope it stays. A letters day. Today and tomorrow and every day. Because a letters day is a better day for you and me and everyone in that city of a thousand planets. (laughs) Valerian. Okay, well, that was a very exciting song. Uh, This first letter is from Elizabeth, last name withheld. Who writes? Montgomery. I got I got a 50-pack of New York Times Wednesday crossword puzzles for Christmas, uh-huh. of which I managed to complete one and only one. Movie trivia is a special weakness of mine and a constant source of frustration. I find myself wondering, are the floppers any good at crosswords? More often than you think. I was toying with the idea of sending you a letter about it, but recently while wor- working my way through, through your archives, I listened to your All About Steve episode. Ironically, while you did briefly discuss crossword puzzles, the one flopper I most wanted to hear from was not present that episode. So now I have to ask, Elliot, do you like crossword puzzles? Are you any good at them? Can you do the New York Times puzzle on a Wednesday? Have you and your brother ever teamed up to do a crossword puzzle? Thank you for your time. I love your podcast. Thanks to Dan for the work he puts in behind the scenes. Yeah, Elliot. I'll try to do more work behind the scenes. I should say, for all the ragging we do on Dan, Dan is the guiding force and engine of the podcast, and it would not exist without him, and he does all the work. So thank you, Dan, for making that possible. Every time, an hour or so before we record, (coughs) Dan wanders down the streets and uh, knocks on all the bar's doors to see if I've passed out in one of them. Yeah. (laughs) I have my rolling pain with me. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And, yeah, uh, you're rolling ping. Okay. Sorry, I know I said that wrong. Usually, usually the G only goes at the end of the first part of rolling pin. <laughs> rolling but, pin. But, ro- but rolling ping, yeah, that's an interesting way to say it. Mm-hmm. I like this uh, this uh this handicap scenario that you were that yeah. you're you're building up, but just had to say that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and then Dan and cheese fries rubs and some hot fries under my nose to wake me up. <laughs> <laughs> uh so, uh crossword puzzles. Here's the thing. As much as I love certain things about crossword puzzles, such as how they remind me of the existence of Isai Morales, uh, 
commonly used clue. Crossword puzzles are like chess for me, where I'm like, I'm like, I should be better at this. I'm a smart person, but I'm not particularly good at it. So like, I, there's so many half-finished crossword puzzles I've left in my wake, mainly because I didn't really care enough to finish them, but in a big way because they'd just be like, I don't know this thing. I, I'm not, my brain is not set up to, to solve a problem oriented in this fashion. Yeah. I was so. kind of that way with trivia for a while where like I took a, after a particularly disastrous performance at a Max Fun Con, uh, at a Chuck Bryan and John Hodgman organized trivia, uh, after I felt particularly dumb for not getting a single question right, I, uh, I was like, never again. I'm never doing trivia again. But then my bar started doing trivia, so I'm like, fuck it. I guess I'll do it here. Yeah, and, and you I, win several times. You've won the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I guess I'm pretty great. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> I mean, I'm the, with trivia, I'm the opposite. My brain is set up for trivia stuff, and I get very too way too into it and start getting irritated when uh, if, if my team is not listening to me or if things go the wrong way or if I miss something I should have known, it's not good for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I probably shouldn't draw the curtain back so much on my work life. Cause it may sound like we don't work. Uh, but on Thursdays there's no show or, or the next day. Um, so because we're not pre- prepping for a Friday show, uh, there's often kind of a bit of downtime at the office and, uh, a bunch of the daily show writers often, go in on a crossword together we uh oh that's nice like a family yeah we project it up on the wall and uh and uh do it online so oh that's like a team building exercise that's a good idea yeah so it's fun who introduced that who's whose idea was that uh i don't know it might i think zach might have started it because he has a subscription to the to the crosswords zach posen Uh, from uh, project runway uh yeah that's them okay (laughs) <laughs> so uh moving on this is from nick last name withheld who writes hornby you've said before the podcast a couple of times that three movies with the same theme make a film festival which means that a festival can also fill each of the flophouse categories of a good bad movie bad bad movie a movie you kind of like i have talked with my friends about doing a festival of movies where music contracts are literal deals with the devil featuring the apple good bad Rock and Rule, Bad Bad, and Phantom of the Paradise, Actually Like. Can you think of any other trios of films where this works for you? Now, this is a tough question, so I I, uh, I don't expect us to necessarily be able to come up with these things on the spur of the moment. But uh, Good, because I can't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, you could do like, uh, you could do zombie movies, or is that too broad a category? No, that's a good category. So what's a good, good, what's a... Zombie movie you kind of like, Elliot? Uh, a zombie movie I kind of like, but it's not that good. Uh-huh. Uh huh. No, like what's a what's a what's a good zombie movie? A good zombie movie. Oh, just an out and out good zombie movie. Yeah. Okay, Return of the Living Dead. Okay, what's a good bad zombie movie? Uh, <laughs> maybe Return of the Living Dead Part Two. <laughs> <laughs> or like uh Zombie Lake, maybe, where half the movie is just women stopping to adjust their stockings and then zombies coming out of a lake and eating them. Okay, and what's a bad, bad zombie movie? Like, uh, probably the new uh, the new remake of Day of the Dead. Pretty bad. Okay. 
I haven't. I didn't know they did a remake of Day of the Dead. Yeah, is Bub in it? Oh, I'm pretty sure Bub would have to be in it, right? I don't don't know. know. I haven't haven't seen seen it. it. Well, wait, wait, you're wait. So maybe it's good. How do you know if it's bad or not? It's just gotten so many bad reviews. Okay. Hey, you know what else got bad reviews? Valerian and the City of a Thousand Worlds. And I kind of like. I shouldn't assume. Because when like, I when a, I assume, I take an ass, and I'm me, and you're you, and we should be free to be you and me. Uh, I was talking exactly. To, That's was, the message. <laughs> I, I was talking. I was talking to uh, what is it? New York Magazine's uh, David Edelstein, and he was making a very strong case for Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. So I don't think all critics hated it. Oh, okay. That's fair. And I was like, stop yelling at me, David. Stop yelling. And he wouldn't stop. <laughs> wow. This that was a little glimpse of how dangerous your work life can be. <laughs> yeah, these are the big celebs that stop into Stuart's uh, bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan McCoy. Yeah. Uh, and others. <laughs> and Stuart Wellington. <laughs> yeah. Let's not forget Stuart Wellington is often hanging out there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Not as much since I hurt my hand, but you know. Yeah. Uh, this last letter is from Alvin, last name withheld. <laughs> and the chipmunks. Yeah, you didn't say it right, Dan. Alvin! Uh, he, Alvin he, Ailey. He writes, nothing important. <laughs> oh, wow, really? Dance pioneer <laughs> Alvin Ailey? Yeah, yeah, Weren't expecting me to make that poll, huh? No. Uh, he, he says, nothing important. I recently watched Double Take, a forgettable Orlando Jones slash Eddie Griffith vehicle, and while there was no Eddie, Eddie, is it Griffith or Griffin? He writes Griffith. Maybe it's Griffin. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. Uh, and whilst there was no feasible way I could have in- expected anything good or enjoyable from the film, I was still really depressed by how mediocre it was. By which I mean I was sad after watching it rather than angry. Given how many bad, bad, boring films you watch, knowing full well that there will probably be that way, what films can you remember that depressed you? Because they were precisely as meh as they promised to be. Big sweaty hugs and sloppy kisses on the bottom to all. Now Wait, the kisses the kisses are on the bottom? Yeah, apparently. <laughs> I don't know if I like that. Now him saying that it made me think that there should be a an emotion called sangry, where you're sad and a- about how angry or not angry you are, and that that's what the movie Santa Sangre should be about. <laughs> yeah. Also yeah. known as Drive Sangre. <laughs> 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 uh yeah dan I, i'm no i'm just looking back on my uh i keep on a, your life no, yeah and <laughs> i've uh, regrets i've got a few <laughs> um no uh i was looking back on my list of movies that i watch i keep a record of this shit and uh it, i feel like that i'm trying to remember i feel like there are movies that i saw this past year that were like okay and yeah they left me feeling a little I know if sad is the right word, but like a little depressed at how like there was nothing to nothing to get excited about either one way or the other. I'm trying yeah. to what the movies were though. Well, um, one that I have on my list here is Murder on the Orient Express, which I watched and I expected it to be meh, and it was meh, and I'm like, why did I do that? Well, and also like if if you can't if you're not excited by a Murder on the Orient Express movie, who is going to? I feel like that's right up your alley. Yeah, you're like you're like. Uh, you're like patient zero of being interested in a murder on the Orient <laughs> Express movie. I uh, I remember watching Death Note recently, <coughs> the uh, the Adam Wingard American adaptation of the Japanese manga movies, etc. <clears throat> and uh, I was like, 
you know, it started off okay, and I liked Willem Dafoe as the death god, but it was just really not, and like, I like Shea Wiggum, like, that guy's great, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's not good, and I was, like, kind of hoping to be, like, when I first started watching, I'm like, I can't wait to recommend this so everybody gets mad at me. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's not very good, and it just bummed me out. And I'm like, why did I waste my limited time after I get you know, spread out over the course of a couple of night shifts where I'd get home at like yeah. 5 in the morning, and I'm like, I'm going to watch something for 30 minutes before I pass out from a sandwich and beer. Uh, why did I waste those nights on Death Note, Dan? Tell me. Uh, I mean, Adam Wingert. He, yeah. you know, he fooled you. Yeah. Fool, fool, fooled you again. Fooled me again. Uh, to be honest, that's how I felt about, these are not movies, but a few of the episodes of this newest season of Black Mirror. Uh-huh. I'll, wa- I'll, I'll be watching an episode and I'll be like, ah, all right. Okay. And it kind of, it, it depresses me that like they went ahead and made a season where they didn't seem to have that many ideas, you know? Yeah, it, it, I feel like the season as a whole had a had a more even baseline. Like there were fewer like great episodes, but there were also fewer episodes where I was like super annoyed that I watched it. Uh huh. Yeah, there's everything just a was just kind of like, like fine. Yeah, just fine. To be honest, this is going to earn me a lot of ire on the internet. So watch out, everybody. Hold back. This is kind of a hot take. Yeah, yeah. But, get, uh, uh, get your uh, hot pads to handle watch this out. take. Yeah, maybe wrap some asbestos around you, the miracle fiber of the future that can keep fire, <laughs> fire back. Uh, but this, it's in a way, it's kind of how I felt when I finally saw Wonder Woman. Uh-huh. That I was like, I was like, okay, this is fine. Like this is, I, I like, I was, I wanted to see something that really blew me away. And when I saw it, I was like, this is all right. Like it's not bad, but it's just not. I was, it was like more disappointing than it would have been if it was terrible. Because then if I if I was terrible, I would have been like, those people were crazy. But I'm like, okay, this just isn't doing it for me. I I'm mean, disappointed in myself. I mean, I could see, I, di- I mean, I disagree with, with that sentiment. I could see arguing that like the you movie. You can't disagree. You can't disagree with my feelings. I, I can disagree that I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm, what I'm saying is I didn't feel that way. Although I can understand feeling like it should have ended after the, uh, the, the trench sequence. Because that's such uh-huh. like the high point of the movie, um, but I don't like. I didn't think anything up until that point was blah for me. I thought it was all pretty good, but I thought it kind of ends. Oh, I mean, it was. It ends lower than it, the the heights it reaches early on in the movie. I see. It just it felt more by the numbers than I was expecting, and I was like, okay, this is a fine version of this. It's a good version of this that I wasn't looking. I wanted something with a little more, you know, like uh, a little more new, you know, more. Something I hadn't seen before. And as soon as David Thewlis walks out, I'm like, oh, the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I mean, I just, I just kind of accept, I, I liked the movie. I just kind of accept, though, too, that, like, it's not necessarily for me. Like, like, it is true that it's much more exciting for, like, women to have, like, a great woman superhero directed by a woman. Like, it's, you know, I can understand the passion about it, certainly. So, that was kind of yeah, my Yeah, that feeling. part's great. I just I like it's I guess it I wanted it to I wanted to have that experience with it and maybe because I can't get out of my own head I wasn't able to I'm not blaming you Wonder Woman I'm blaming me sure um so now turning for movies that we feel mediocre also, I about I will say I will say yeah. 
Maybe if they hadn't given David Thewlis that mustache, he would have se- seemed less so obviously evil. <laughs> That's in his contract now, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's so gross. He's awesome. Uh, moving from films that were mixed on to films that we like. Recommendations. That's what we're doing now. Uh-huh. How's that segue, huh? Oh, it's amazing. Flawless. Wonderful. Oh, and it's like, uh, who is, is Ryan Seacrest hosting the show? <laughs> Um, I'll give a recommendation. And having said that, this is kind of a qualified recommendation. Like, uh, it's a movie I enjoyed, but maybe not as much as I had hoped I would. And it's a movie that's probably it's called Screwballs. It's probably <laughs> it's a movie that I imagine will be near and dear to the Flophouse Nation because it stars Nicolas Cage. It's a little movie called Mom and Dad. Oh, you mean I can go see that? I was waiting to see that because I thought we might do it for the podcast. No, you can see it. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, okay, I will, I'll go right now. Hold on a sec. Go on. Let me go get, see it. I'll be right back. Good. I'm going to throw a rock at you like you're hairy. <laughs> 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 we don't even want you around. Get out of here. Um, you're all good. My, my marginal disappointment with this film was because it was directed by Brian Taylor, who, along with Neville Dean, uh, the other half of Neville Dean and Taylor, uh, did the Crank movies. And so I wanted it to be as crazy as the Crank movies, which is not. But it's uh, it's crazy enough to make it a nice little cult film. I think that uh, people uh, of the flop might already be familiar with the plot, but I'll summarize it. It's uh, all of a sudden uh, moms and dads across the land have this urge to kill their children. And they don't have the urge to kill, like, all kids – just specifically their own offspring. And so it's kind of a you know what that provocative is called? Yeah. It's it's called being a parent. Yeah. Oh anyway, guys, <laughs> let me tell you what's been going on in my life. Well, you can't see but I'm miming holding a microphone because it's time for my type five on fatherhood. Yeah. So I'm in the shower uh-huh. and I hear a knock on the door. Yeah. And I think maybe it's some hot babe coming in to do me. <laughs> because that's all I think about. But no, it's my son who needs to use the potty, he says. And I'm like, hey, I'm in here. Can I not even have these moments? Yeah. Pause for applause. <laughs> Pause for knowing laughter and applause as the audience relates to the moment, even if it's not particularly funny. Yeah, well, that's the subtext of the film. I mean, it's not even really the subtext. <laughs> it's it's pretty much the text of the movie that uh, you know parents want to kill their kids sometimes anyway. So that's kind of the joke of the of the film as I mean millennials are so fucking lazy of course they want to get <laughs> of oh course boy. they should die right <laughs> what a bunch of morons oh they don't even have the energy to prop up the applebees industry like they're supposed to i mean they just don't appreciate everything their parents do for them yeah yeah and they're always using the phones that that their parents invented and made them use uh huh uh, anyway, uh, Nicholas. Let K. me just let now. I'm gonna give my hot take on uh, millennials. Okay. Hey, millennials, it's not your fault. You got handed a steaming pile of shit in this world, and everyone's like, <laughs> "Why are these millennials love eating shit so much?" Yeah, it's not fair. Not fair. You know just, what? Parents don't just I'm, don't understand. I'm just fucking mad that the millennials haven't uh, reembrace. You know how millennials have a tendency to embrace uh, pop culture like Frasier and shit. Why haven't they yeah. brought back Millennium? I mean, it's right there on the fucking table, guys. <laughs> 
It's got all the millennials' favorite star, Lance Henriksen, the man who was always old even when he was a baby. Uh, You know, when when they shot Aliens, Lance Henriksen was 14 years old. (laughs) Yeah. They they were trying to make an Akira movie where he played all the wrinkled kids. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's a Venn diagram for that joke, and it's just got Stuart and me in the middle. Um, I just, I'm almost done with my recommendations. So just I just want to say, Nicholas Cage gives a fun, crazy Cage performance. Selma Blair is also very good, and the movie runs like 87 minutes long or something like that. So it's the perfect length for a film. Does not overstay its welcome. Uh, nice. Yeah. So mom and dad save the world. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm going to recommend a movie. So I've been uh, I've been trying to catch up on horror movies from the last year that I missed out on. And uh, one of my favorites is the movie Raw that you can watch on Netflix. So you know what that means, guys. You pull up your browser. Uh-huh. You grab your fucking mouse. You get that. <laughs> you get that left click button already. Okay. <laughs> Hover, <laughs> you gotta hover that over the 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 <laughs> thumbnail of Raw, okay? Yeah. You gotta press that left click button, drag it over <laughs> into your movie player, uh-huh. and then you 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 dump it in there. Yeah, empty trash. Okay, then what? <laughs> okay, because <laughs> you don't want your fucking trash box cluttering up your hard drive, right? Yeah. That slows down your. Uh, are there are there any settings that we have to make sure are set? <laughs> well. I mean, there's not a lot of options, but you want to make sure that you you have gore cranked all the way up, baby. <laughs> uh, so raw. You want to turn on motion smoothening because you want those motions to be smooth as silk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want it to look just like that time I saw the first Hobbit movie and got an eye strain <laughs> and stuff started leaking out of the corner of my eye for a day. Um, <laughs> So Raw is a French movie about a uh, young woman who goes to, I guess, like veterinary college. And uh, along the way, she develops, let's say, certain appetites for stuff. Okay. Uh, But it's this great little movie. um, Well, like wrestling, like WWF Raw? Kind of. And it, uh, no, it's great. And it. Um, it, it's nice to see this kind of a, a horror movie told from this perspective. And it also touches on a lot of things that kind of everybody can identify with. And it is a very, f- uh, female perspective. So maybe I missed some of the, I don't know, I'm just fucking around. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, it's great. It's gory. Uh, it's fun. Uh, check it out. Raw. <laughs> Raw. You got it. Raw. Uh, <laughs> okay. You got, you got any more in your, in your <laughs> Okay, I'll go on and and, uh, and recommend my movie now. Pause for one last raw. <laughs> okay, there you go. Uh, so I'm going to recommend a movie. It's an old one, guys. It's a classic melodrama weepy uh, that I've been meaning to watch for years, and I finally got around to watching it. And that's Now Voyager, starring Betty Davis and Paul Henry and Claude Rains. And Betty Davis is playing a character who is, she's a grown woman who's still living kind of under the thumb of her old, her elderly mother. And it means she's grown up as this very unhappy, what you would call at the time a spinster, but that's not a term people care for anymore. 
just an unhappy woman who cannot cannot feel life, basically. And first under the care of Claude Rains as a psychiatrist, and then later through a relationship she forms with Paul Henry, who's a man that she falls in love with, but she can't have because he has a he already has a family. Uh, she manages to discover herself and figure out a way to live that is more true to herself and more satisfying, even if it can never be, even if she can never live the fully satisfying life she always wanted because of the way she was raised. And it's one of these movies that is, it's based on a book and it feels more like a book in that the plot is not a straight line from A to Z. It's, you kind of are not quite sure where it's going at certain times. It's, it follows its own path. And it's very much like a classic melodrama. Like there are times when it things happen. It sounds like Valerian. Like, it's just like Valerian. Uh, there are times when things happen when you're like, that seems a little coincidental movie. But it's one of uh, like Betty Davis's big famous performances and one where she gets to show her full range. Everyone in it is really good. It's like classic, uh, classic filmmaking, just like textbook 101, you know, glossy stuff. And just really, really good. And I'm a big Betty Davis fan, so I'm surprised it took me this long to watch it, since I think she is the, she was the greatest of the film actresses at that time. And this is a real chance for her to show her full range. So aside her full range aside from when she plays characters who are crazy or evil, but in this case, not so much. So now Voyager. I'd recommend it. It's really good. Great. Bunch of recommendations. You got your homework, everybody. <laughs> All mm-hmm. right. You got to watch those three movies. We'll test you next episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now we should just sign off uh, from the flop house and uh, thank you for listening. Uh, there's a lot of great podcasts over at maximumfun.org. Uh-huh. Go listen to those. Um, and uh, it's been great talking yeah, it's to been. you. And hey, whatever, what, whatever holiday you're celebrating, I hope you're having uh-huh. a good one. All right. For the flop house, I've been Dan McCoy. Hey, I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Ellie Kalen, all year round, 24-7. Cool. How are my levels, Dan? Now, now, you, know, you know, if you could just switch the channel within the mic, you'd need some sort of magic mic. XL. <laughs> <laughs> wow, is that before XXL? Yeah, it's the middle one. <laughs> that they'll release later. Yeah, I'm very glad I caught that, because that could have been a bad scene. Yeah, a real bad scene. Uh-huh. Just like uh, that scene in uh, in uh, in Ghostbusters, where Dan Aykroyd gets the ghost blowjob. It's a bad scene. Okay, Dan, do you have any bad scenes you'd like to add? <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.